Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode nine. In your quest to become a better developer, how do you find Python code that is at your reading level? And what are good code bases or projects to study? What are the things that are holding you back from leveling up your Python literacy? This week, I have a conversation with Cecil Phillip. Cecil is a cloud advocate at Microsoft. He's been learning Python in the open on Twitch with Brian Clark. They run a weekly event on Twitch where they're live streaming an interactive Python course. Cecil has a background in multiple languages and technologies, but is now learning Python and bringing an audience along the way. We start with the listener question and jump into a conversation about building up your Python skills. Cecil and I discuss common Python language stumbling blocks, and we talk about the importance of making personal projects and documenting that code. Cecil and I touch on some unique skills employers are looking for, and we also discuss working through imposter syndrome. In the show notes this week, which you can find at realpython.com slash podcast, you'll find links to the resources we discuss and several more that we didn't even have time to cover individually. All right, let's get started. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. Interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Cecil. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, man. It's been a pleasure to be on here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do for Microsoft? Sure. At Microsoft right now, I am a senior cloud advocate. And essentially what that means is I go out into the community and I'm involved with a lot of events like working with students or working with startups or you know early stage companies and things like that. And with the goal of really just trying to make sure that they have a great experience when they're working with our products. So, you know, what does it feel like for a student working with Visual Studio Code or what does it feel like for a startup that's trying to build out and they want to use serverless tools and technologies, right? Are they having a good experience? Is the documentation great? You know, do we need to do like some hands-on training and workshops with them, right? Like what can we do to help them be successful? And so that's really what my team is focused on. Oh, cool. So you do a variety of workshops and public events? Yeah, for sure. We do a lot of workshops. Uh, You know, right now we're in the middle of the whole corona pandemic but prior to that we do a lot of in-person engagements so we'll you know go to different cities across the world meet with different folks and companies and things like that you know i've also traveled a lot and met with professors and students you know trying to see like how we can help them enhance their curriculum how can we get students to be more prepared for going out into the workforce just by you know letting them know what's possible with some of the tools or technologies that we have and on top of that we also do a lot of I would like to say like disconnected experiences. Sure. So that'll be like blog posts and videos, live streaming, you know, so even though we're not physically there with you, like we want to still be able to be present and, you know, still be able to share and give you learning resources that may be able to push you forward. So, you know, we'll do things on YouTube, we'll do things on platforms like Twitch, you know, and any of these like live streaming type experiences. You currently do live streaming with Brian, right? Yeah. Brian Clark is my partner that I stream with. We have a stream every Wednesday where we do pretty much like updates and, you know, sometimes we do like some live coding Um, that's particularly focused on Python. Cool. Right. So, you know, we'll talk about things like Flask, you know, creating virtual environments. Uh, Right now we're talking a little bit about like Visual Studio Code, 
you know, and just, you know, anything that's really cool and interesting from the Python perspective. What's different about our show, I think, is so Brian is a JavaScript developer. Okay. Right. For for the most part, like right now, he's focused on JavaScript, and I'm a little bit more focused on doing .NET experiences. Right. So now we've created the show where it's like, well, hey, I'm not a Python expert, right? And he's not a Python expert, but let's come together and learn this language together, and let's do it out in the open. And I think that's been great because the community can see just a different experience of learning. Right. Because we always get the questions like, hey, as as you go on in your career and things change, right? Because everyone knows the technology industry changes a tremendous amount. As things change, how do you keep up to date with things? And how do you kind of, you know, stay relevant, right, with your career? And so I think it was a great experience for us to do that and be able to show folks, well, you know, even though this is not what we spent the last few years of our careers doing, we can kind of come together and learn this language together. And then we can ask their questions live and, and, you know, give people that sense of, Hey, well, if we could do it, you could do it too. That's definitely been one of the reasons I wanted to start the podcast myself, this podcast. I like real Python as a resource. I think it's super, super useful, but I wanted to have another way to basically keep learning and growing and kind of share that experience. It's a little more offline, but I've been excited by the idea of having people ask questions and answering them on the show. And that's definitely one of the focuses we're going to have for the episode today. Yeah, I think that's really powerful, having resources where you can go out and show yourself as being sort of vulnerable and, hey, I'm learning this too. I think that is something that's kind of inviting because it can be really daunting when you feel like you're just surrounded by experts all the time to you know, show what you're doing and how you're trying to learn something too. Yeah, for sure. I think what's really powerful about the live streaming experience that we're doing and how it's different from going to like a big conference is that the things that we do live streamed, like these aren't scripted. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I didn't spend the week before prepping and creating demos and writing up slides and documentation, right? It's, it's a legit real world look in terms of like, what does it feel like when we're trying to learn something new? So a lot of the times you'll see, I'll make a lot of typos, right? Like I'll spell things, I'll spell things wrong. I'll, I'll call things by the wrong name. We're like, we'll make legitimate mistakes. Right. But these are the things that we do like in the workplace every day. These are the things that we do when we're coding by ourselves or, you know, maybe just within the team. But on the outside, folks are like, oh man, like this is an amazing company and these folks are experts or whatever, but they only see the finished product, right? Right. Now we're kind of stepping back a couple of, you know, a couple of steps and showing people, well, again, like we have the experience from before, like we've built production applications in different languages in different companies before, but now we're coming together and we're still learning this thing that's new to us, right? Like watch us make mistakes because this is, this is a real thing, right? And this is going to happen. What's been even greater about that is because of the chat that's available there, folks have been so interactive that we have folks that know way more Python than we do. And they're coming on and they're giving us ideas and suggestions. And that's been amazing to learn from the people that are there as well. Yeah, that's cool. And there's a a design podcast. I don't know if they're still doing it, but the whole idea was let's make mistakes. It was like, I think the, the title <laughs> of the podcast, which is so, so true. Yeah, yeah. And going back to episode four of this podcast, we talk about, you know, how errors really are your friends. You know, they're a tool for helping you realize what's going on it, it's not trying to shame you or make you feel bad it's trying to show you yeah what's happening and so it's you know part of the whole skill of learning uh, how to read that stuff and get deeper into it yeah for sure and i think it's encouraging when regardless of what we're talking about software development or anything else when 
you are trying to learn something, right? Let's say you're trying to learn woodworking, right? Doesn't matter. Yeah. You're trying to learn how to cut wood. <laughs> and you see somebody else that they might be a, a master architect, but they've never cut wood before. Maybe they design other things. And they've come and they're trying to learn this this new trade and they're making tons of mistakes, right? Like they're yeah. they're cutting the wood crooked. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like the splinters all over the place. Like they're using the equipment in the wrong way. Right. But you're like, oh wow, like he's such a master, he or she is such a master in this other space. You just feel like, well, there must be a master of everything, right? Like we we have that type of subconscious bias. Yeah. But then when we see them make mistakes alongside us, we realize, wow, like as as accomplished and as and as well revered you are as you know in whatever industry you happen to be in, you know what I mean? Like you're just like me. Yeah. We're not that different. You know what I mean? In terms of like how we approach learning and how we try to evolve and whatnot. Like the difference is just that, you know, one person's experience versus the other one might be a little bit different. But other than that, like we're all trying to learn and evolve in the same way. Yeah, I uh follow this guy, Dan Harmon. I don't know if you know who that is. Not nah. he wrote the TV show Community. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the show. He's more famous for Rick and Morty now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He suddenly, just to take off on your idea there, he suddenly got into woodworking this year and that's like all he shares on instagram now oh really nice is like him like figuring out how to you know do stuff and build a shop and build tables and all this stuff and making all these mistakes and learning as he goes and he shares what youtube videos he's watching and you know like he bought the wrong type of table saw (laughs) you know he bought like one that's designed for like a job site versus like one that you know you would actually put in a shop that would be permanently there and you know so it's it's cool, like you said, to see someone who's super accomplished, you know, has tons of work out there, movies and TV shows that are you know huge, and to let them be vulnerable and show their process of learning something new. I think it's really cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely it is. It is. I think as as we go through the industry and we become the senior developers. Yeah. Right. Like I I like I like to think about when I was earlier in my career, like who were the people that I used to look up to. Right, like whose books were I reading and whose blog posts were I looking at? Thinking about like what that meant to me and how that affected the way that I work and the things that I became interested in. And then now moving forward, I'm like, oh wow, like I should be doing this for other people. Right. Like I should be, in addition to doing my other work, like I should try to find a way, you know, whether it's a little bit or a lot, you know, everybody's time is different. But we need to find a way that we as the folks that are learning. And, and, and are becoming the seniors are also bringing up the folks that are, are a lot newer than we are. Right. Yeah. Because the thing, if you, I mean, if you think about history, right. And again, this is, this is very generic advice. This is not like even programming specific. If you look at history, you know what I mean? Like if we don't teach each other what's happened before, like history is bound to repeat itself. Right. And sometimes we don't want that to happen. Right. Sometimes those bad experiments that we've already tried really don't need to be repeated, right? We have it, we've documented them, we've written them down and and they're there. But if we don't let people know that they're there, if we don't let people know that we've we've gone through this process and we've created these things and we've made these mistakes, they're going to be like, oh, wow, I had a brand new idea and I'm going to do this. <laughs> and that may or may not work, but <laughs> right. they don't know that somebody's already done that. Right. Right. So it's, but, but who's going to tell them? Right. Right. We have to tell them, right? Because we're the ones that went through that experience before. It's kind of like the um the experience or the relationship you might have with like a family member or even your children, right? Like as you, as the adult, as the older person, like you want to pass down information that'll help them 
not need to make certain mistakes, right? And so that they could make a step forward faster, right? And even further than we did because we were able to give them that initial set of information. Yeah. I think there's always going to be certain things that you're going to have to learn by doing and you know, get the muscle memory behind it. Yeah. But there's definitely things that you can share your own experience if, if that person's ready, ready for it and ready to listen. I agree with that completely. Yeah, for sure. I know you kind of, you make a really good point there. You don't have to force information on people. That's never the right thing to do. Right. Like people have to be ready to accept it and they have to be able to understand it. And sometimes people, you know, everybody's not always at that same pace or at that same point when they're ready to take that type of information. Right. And again, this is where our experience comes in, right? We have to be able to look at folks and look at our communities and say, well, you know, this is the right time, right? Or, hey, well, when you're ready, I'm here for you, right? I want to, this is an open door kind of thing. And if and when you need something within this particular, you know, scenario, right? Here are people that you could talk to that could be able to, to guide you along the right path. So I think we might jump into the question that I received this week and jump off from there. Sure, let's do it. So this question is from a listener. He actually was listening to episode four and came up with a question and then recorded it. And I'll share links again, uh, how you can record your own questions for the podcast later. But let's check out. This is Drew's question. Hi, Christopher. My name is Drew. I'm really enjoying the Real Python podcast. Uh, listening to episode number four, learning Python through errors, got me thinking about another aspect of learning, and that is learning from reading other people's code. My question is centered around finding code that is at somebody's reading level. My daughter, when she was learning to read, used different readers that slowly increased in difficulty as her ability increased. One of the problems that I've had in the past is so much of the code that I'm able to find from third-party packages and such is at a reading level that's higher than I'm capable of understanding easily. Uh, do you have any suggestions about how to find code that is at somebody's reading level or close to so that they're more effective in their learning? Thanks. So I think it's a really cool question, and I want to take it apart in maybe three different ways. There's the initial way of just going head on and saying, well, here's places to try to find things at your, your level that would also involve, you know, sort of you gauging what your level is. And then beyond that, I think a big part of it also is going to be raising your level and getting beyond that to what are some techniques or things that could help you to get the vocabulary so you can raise your level up. I think it's a really good question. And it kind of stumped some people around me when I was asking them, they weren't quite sure what what to do. So I'll let you go first if you have some initial thoughts on, do you think of some good resources to find code that you could read at that's at your level? I think that's, I think it's such a common question, but I also think it's a very complex question. Yeah. Because there's a lot of different things that we can unpack there in terms of like, how can I step forward, right? Like how can I elevate my level of understanding and level of skill within the particular, you know, programming topic? And the way that I kind of look at it is you kind of have to read code that's above your level. Like as a beginner, like all code is going to be above your level. Right. You know, technically, because you're still learning and you're still trying to understand like syntax and semantics, right? Never even mind like how to solve a business problem with like these types of things. Sure. Um, one of the ways that I approached that problem when I was, when I was a younger developer was, Hey, I might know a little bit about a particular 
area of focus. So let's say we're talking about building web applications or web APIs, right? Okay. I know how HTML works. I know how CSS works. I know how browsers work, right? So now maybe I want to read some code that does something in that space, right? Okay. And the reason that that's a good idea, or the reason I think it's a good idea, is because now you don't have to try and figure out what the code is trying to do from a business perspective. <laughs> you know what I mean? You might already know that. You're you're trying to figure out like how do they do what they're doing. Okay. So for instance, like if I'm trying to make an HTTP request, I know, okay, HTTP is made up of headers, there's a body, there's a URL and some query parameters, right? Okay. So I, I, I have the general idea of what like the composition of an HTTP message looks like. But like, how do I do it in Python? Right. What libraries did I use in Python to do that, right? Do I have to install like another thing or is there something in the framework that I could just use to get started with, right? And now you figure that out and now I started to look around like in GitHub, right? Because, you know, everyone's on GitHub, right? If it's not on GitHub, it doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we started digging around in GitHub to try and look for code that's doing things that we are familiar with, right? Kind of like if we look at something like, Maybe I want to build a a game, right? Or I want to build something that, you know, tracks football scores or basketball scores or something like that, right? Like, I understand, like, the domain of those, right? I understand the dynamics of how basketball works. I know it's a three-pointer versus a foul versus, like, the half court. Right. And so now, as I'm reading code, I can be like, oh, okay. It makes it a little bit more comforting for me if I already know what it's trying to do. Like if I already know what the goals are. Right. And now it's just a matter of like breaking down the composition of of the syntax that was written. Right. So it's like, oh okay, well he used a for loop here to to spin through like the list of players on the roster. Right. Or, you know, this person decided to make a request to this third party service because, you know, they had like all the pictures of the jerseys. Or whatever the case is, right? And then you kind of look and see, oh, how did they put this together in like a package that I could deploy out to our server or to somebody's machine as like a useful resource? So what's one of the things that, that, that I like to do in terms of, um, in terms of like trying to understand code that's like a little bit above my reading level? Um, and there's tons of other things that you could do as well, right? Uh, Chris, what are some of the things that you do? Cause I know you probably have like some opinions about this as well. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about the, it's kind of like this uh, Goldilocks situation of GitHub projects, right? That you want to learn more and there's a specific domain you have. And I, you know, I did this recently myself because I was like thinking about how I want to learn more about creating graphical user interface stuff. And so I, I had to pick a project, which is always you know the thing that's going to narrow it a little bit, narrow your focus down to then see what are the solutions that are there. So let's say... I want to make a a contact app, you know, kind of like an address book type of tool that I can use. So I could type that into GitHub and then type the word Python with it or whatever and try to filter, you know, using tags. And then you're going to struggle because you're going to find, you know, lots of different things that are out there. And you're you're right. There's going to be stuff that's like way more advanced and look really complex and other stuff that's going to look way, you know, maybe... I don't know. So the trick is the the intermediate level is always kind of hard, which is you know finding things that kind of make sense in that that way. But I've definitely done that where I've like said, okay, give me all the different examples of these types of things, and I hope that there's comments in there. I hope that there's things are named well. That's one of those big things that 
people talk about all the time that, you know, how important naming is. And that's, you know, mainly not only for yourself, but for anybody else who looks at that code to be able to understand what things are doing. If things are, I know, they're just talking about this on Python Bytes, how that's such a common thing to just create a folder called, you know, or a, a module called utils. And, and then it's just like sort of becomes like the junk drawer for your code. Hopefully you can find things that have been named well and structured well that you can kind of build on top of it. And I've, you know, I've definitely used a lot of that when trying to level up, you know, just by taking over a project. But I, I think one of the things that I get stuck on and definitely get stuck on in Python was a lot of these things that show up in the language that, I don't know, I guess kind of make it look scary. Python in general is very readable. You know, when you do these initial scans on, you know, just like, you know, it's the simplest language for creating a hello world program, <laughs> you know? Right. So that's really nice. But as Python has progressed and advanced, some of these things have been added. Things like decorators, which is, you know, why I personally tackled that as one of my first courses on Real Python is that I I kept seeing this at symbol and going, is that really part of Python? Like, what is that thing doing? <laughs> right. And And it's literally taking things and it's like a portal it's like you know suddenly something's zapped somewhere else in the you know it's like a go-to statement you know <laughs> it's like all this code is now going somewhere else and so it seemed really abstract and didn't make sense to me and so that was something that i i said oh, i gotta learn what that is because i see it everywhere and i don't understand it and so i decided i'm gonna not only study this article but i'm gonna reteach this article right and so that was my technique and then a similar thing was that are difficult to look at is those big open source projects. Yes, they're amazing and they're huge and they have, you know, if they're documented well, can be a really incredible resource. Things like the flask code and, you know, Django looking at the source docs for those, but they're also very advanced. And one of the advanced things that's been happening now is this idea of type checking. And so when I started to see all these, I don't know, for lack of a better word, quotation marks, foreign things <laughs> that are in this code. Right. And they don't seem very functional. Like they don't seem like they do anything. And it's actually a form of documentation. And once you kind of get your head wrapped around, like what type checking is trying to do, then you can maybe filter some of that out of your brain. So it's like seeing all these words in a language that you haven't seen that, you know, somebody speaking with flowery <laughs> things like that, that make it, make it so hard. And, and so those were the things that I, I felt like I, that was literally the, you know, the fourth thing that I said, I'm going to attack this. Like, what is this type checking thing? Cause this looks really weird too. And another one is dunder methods, you know, the double underscore stuff. When you see those things in side of like object oriented code, you know, where they're doing inheritance and composition and adding all these kind of funky things. Those are like those leveling up things inside of my struggle <laughs> to become a more advanced coder, to be able to just be able to read it, to be able to digest it. Right. I don't know what you think of that. <laughs> I think um, one of our biggest jobs as software developers, regardless of whatever skill level that you're at, is to be able to like look at a complex problem and try to break it down yeah, into smaller problems. Sure. But for some reason, we don't take that same approach when it comes to actual 
learning though, right? I don't know, and I don't like, but like, and I think we should. When you're looking at a complex code base, for instance, one of the good things that you could do is say, well, let me just take this feature by feature. Yeah. Right. Maybe I start off with, I'm going to clone it from GitHub, right? So I'm going to go on to GitHub and I'm going to get a copy of it and put it on my machine. And then I'm going to try and run it and let's see what happens. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that sounds daunting for a lot of people, but honestly, like it's one of those, we got to get past the fear, right? Yeah, totally. Because if we don't get past the fear, like we're always going to be afraid. So let's clone the code, put it in our machine. See if it, you know, see if we could run it and then maybe write a little bit of your own code. So let's say we're talking about Flask, like write one, one HTTP get method. Yeah. Right. And see if you could debug it through the Flask source code. Yeah. That idea of debugging, I think is huge. The idea that as the code's running to be able to stop it and see, okay, what are the variables right now? What are, what's going on that? And that's definitely a talk that I want to have on the podcast in the future. Yeah, definitely. But something like that, right? Like let's, let's follow it and see what it does. Right. So instead of you trying to like skip through different files and classes and methods, let's, let's just follow it. Right. Like, right. let me see where you're taking me. Like, where are we going today? Kind of <laughs> Hold my hand. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And this, I mean, let's, let's, let's see what happens. Right. And, and that, I think that's a good way for us to, to kind of do these things. Now, another thing that I like to add to it, because again, like looking at large code bases, right. Regardless of how you approach it is always like a daunting thing. Oh yeah. Right. Like we get frustrated and like, you know, our emotional fight or flight response kicks in and you know, you're like, man, I don't know if I could do this or not. And you start, we start to get a little uncomfortable. Right. I think it's, it's okay because sometimes we have to realize that sometimes we're just looking at bad code. <laughs> <You know? laughs> sure. So, I mean, every code, all the code that you read isn't going to be good code. Just like all of it isn't going to be bad code. Right. Some of it might be in the middle. But but I say this because as a learner, like you, it's hard to know the difference because we haven't had that experience yet. Sure. But now you might look at you might look at some code and be like, man, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why is why is this person doing this thing? Right. But now you're frustrated and you're like, oh man, like I'm no good. Like I can't do this. Like I don't understand this. And you know what? Maybe it's not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe it's just not your fault, right? But like, don't let these things frustrate you. And I think that's, that's the main message that, that I want the listeners and all of our new folks and learners to understand. Like, don't get discouraged because you might run into one or two cases that might not, you know, you might not understand or you might not, you know, be able to follow the logic of what a particular person was trying to do. Right. We have to try to surpass that fear, right? Cause that's when we're going to learn. You know what I mean? Just, just keep doing it, right? Like, it's kind of like if you want to become a better reader, you got to read more. Yeah. Just like if you want to become a better code, you got to code more. If you want to become a better basketball player, you got to play basketball, right? And so in our, in our efforts to continue to, to evolve and become better at whatever our craft happens to be, right? Like, we just have to remember emotionally, Hey, I don't understand this now. And it's okay for me to take five minutes and put it down and come back and I'll look at it again. Or maybe I'll look at something else. Yeah. Because at least that way, like we, we take those baby steps, right? We take those incremental movements forward and then eventually like we'll get it, right? I mean, even today, right? Like I have 10 years of experience in this industry and even today, sometimes like I'll read something today and I'll put it down and then somebody will talk to me about it maybe like weeks after and then I'll be like, oh, okay, great. I totally understand that thing I read a couple of weeks ago. Right. Sometimes it takes a while to like fester in your mind. Right. Because remember, like, this is not the only thing that we're doing. Like, life happens. Right. <laughs> and you have <laughs> right. other things 
you have other things that are happening simultaneously, right? Like you're not like we're not single focused creatures. Yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. And so sometimes you just need a little bit of time to let let a topic sink in. And then later on that we can come back and deal with it, right? And so for me, for for learning programming, for learning Python libraries and, you know, all the new things like Docker and machine learning and blah, 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 blah. Like sometimes I just had to like press pause, right? And come back to it a couple of weeks later and be like, okay, I get it now. And then now we can move forward. Yeah, that was one of the things that Drew originally wrote me an email before he recorded the session. And I liked some of the stuff he was saying in there because it, it's similar to my background of I had a few little projects. So I wrote code for those projects and I solved those problems. And then there was a gap. And then I started to do this job and I started working on this particular project. And that idea of kind of going back and coming forth and you know doing actual projects and having, you know, successfully accomplished goals. And there's other people that are, you know, using your code now and which is really awesome. But the idea of like retaining all that learning and and kind of building on top of it, the only way to do that is to you know, keep stepping back in and, and trying out new stuff, like you said, or, and taking breaks is not, is required in learning <laughs> to give your brain a chance to like, you know, settle that information and then build on top of it. On on top of what you were saying about code, ne- not necessarily being readable and how it may be, you know, bad code or in some ways, unnecessarily complex. One of the things I think of is like lambdas, which are you know, very, very popular, especially around an office that I was in to do things inside of, you know, we're doing data science and we were, you know, doing things to pandas and so forth. And I, I look at a lot of that code and sometimes it's just, you know, unnecessarily complex or hard to read because of the way it's all jammed in a single line. And so what you could do then is, well, why not try to translate it, you know, turn it back into a regular looking defined function or even, I, I know that you have a background in JavaScript and and all these other types of languages and .NET, and I have a background from SQL and the standalone thing called FileMaker Pro and all these other kinds of interesting. You know, I learned R while I was doing some data science stuff, and the idea of taking a project maybe in one of those languages and then trying to translate it over—it's such a skill in learning. You know, a regular language to to take something that's been written somewhere else and try to transpose it. Um, I look at uh, games and, you know, that's something that I'm passionate about. And I think it's a really great way to learn programming, but I could look at a, an example that's written in JavaScript and say, okay, well, how would I do that inside a Pygame or Arcade or one of these Python libraries and take, you know, the, the logic that they created there and reproduce it in this other way by translating the code into this language that I'm trying to get better at. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I know... I'm wondering if that's the way how a lot of these like cross compilers work, right? Like if you think about it, hey, I want to compile, I don't know, JavaScript to Python or Python to JavaScript. I know there's a few projects around that do those types of things. Yeah. Right? Like what if I don't know JavaScript? Right? Well, I know Python, right? So I could write what I think I want to do in Python, right? Like I know what I want to do and I know how to express it in this way. Yeah. And then now I'll run it through this this generator or code converter or whatever the case is. But then now I could look at that, right? And then, you know, you can hold them side by side on your monitor or, you know, your tablet or whatever you read your stuff on. And then you could be like, oh, okay, well, this maps to that. And this means this in this language. And this is how that goes back and forth. 
So it's it's a great way if you're already familiar with the constructs of of one particular platform in one particular language. Yeah. If you know you could map that to a concept in something else, like it makes the learning experience like way more interesting. Yeah, and I think that on top of that is really just you're gonna have to write a lot of code. Yeah. And what's really important inside of that is adding comments. And I know that's like a whole thing of like you know some people think that. You know, if it's if you're writing something and the code is obvious, then why is there a comment there? Well, if you're a beginner or an immediate programmer, you know, none of it's obvious to you. And so adding the comments, and sure, you could clean that up later or whatever, but those comments in general should be for you. So if you're creating some of these smaller projects and then putting it away on GitHub and then coming back and looking at it again to refresh your memory and going back through it and understanding it. And it's like, what was I trying to do here? <laughs> you know, you know, comments should be the why, but I think that's, you know, one of those techniques you're going to just have to keep leveling up by creating projects. Do you have suggestions on types of projects people have or should try out? Uh, not necessarily, but I want to, I kind of want to add a little bit to that statement you made about comments, right? Sure. So I, I do, I do think comments are really important. But not only just from the person that's new, right? But again, let's think about, I have a large code base and I have new developers that I'm onboarding, right? Right. Maybe they're just like fresh out of coding school, right? Or college or whatever. And now we're expecting them to come in and be super productive in a code base that they've never seen before. That's probably like hundreds of thousands of lines of, of source code. Right. And there's no comments. <laughs> right? And then there's no documentation. Right. Like, what are we, what are we expecting them to do? Right. Like, how are we expecting them to be successful? Right. I guess is when I go back to, again, like us, us becoming the seniors right? and us becoming like the more experienced folks. Like, how can we help bring forward everyone else together? And so this is where even us, like, even we, even though we know what it is and we know what it does, that doesn't mean like the next person that reads it will. Correct. That doesn't mean like the next person that has to update it. You know, maybe you change it and then. Your person doesn't know, oh, okay, well, you shouldn't have changed it because it relates to this other thing. Well, they didn't know because there was no documentation, right? And so now, well, you're like, oh, well, you should read the test. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's just more code for me to read. Right. <laughs> you know I mean? And that's a whole other level right. of, like, of tests is like, and all the kind of complexity that's there. Exactly. So now that's more stuff for me to read. Yeah. <laughs> just the idea of mocking, mocking things is like, okay, so I'm going to create a bunch of fake things and then what are these fake things supposed to be doing? And, you know, it's like a whole other like level of confusion potentially. Exactly. So it's, again, like for, for our less experienced developers, you know, read the code, look at the comments, read the documentation if it's available. And for our more experienced developers, you know, write some documentation, man, like write some docs and write some comments. Yeah. Because again, think about what it was like when you were younger or when you had less experience and now you got thrown into, you know, you got thrown into the pit, essentially. <laughs> and like, you're like drowning in code. And you're like, I don't know what this does. It can't compile it. It doesn't build. There's no documentation. I don't know what the requirements are. Yeah. Ah, pulling your hair right. out. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like, let's, let's, I mean, let's just help each other. It's, it's really what it's about, right? Because again, learn, the learning experience is a community experience. Like your best experience with learning something is going to be, your interactions with other people. Yeah. Like, sure, it's great if you could pick up a book and read it cover to cover. Sure, that's great. But who are you going to ask questions to? 
right? And then who are you gonna who are you gonna have review? Hey, is this a good idea or is this a bad idea? Or is there a better way to do this? Right? Like you gotta talk to somebody, right? And then you also have to be willing to be spoken to. Sure. Right. Like there's two sides of it, right? Like there's 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 the teacher and like, you know, the student, right? And a lot of those times, like the teacher and the student are like the same people, right? They just swap roles depending on what we're talking about. Okay. And so anyway, like we got to think about how we can make our code and our projects in a way that are, are easily accessible for new folks. And then also too, like even for ourselves, like six months later, like I might not even remember why I wrote this code, right? Like what does this thing do? Yeah. Right? Like how can we adapt that to make that a better um, experience for everybody? Yeah, it's such a practice you need to get in. And even just the way that, the the files are structured and laid out and and learning from that and then I, I thought about building on top of the resource of finding other people to share your code with or ask questions of and finding those communities I have a luxury of you know working at Real Python and there's have, being a Slack channel that I can kind of open up to and you know people that buy a membership they have that same kind of thing but. I spent a long time talking to Martin on episode four about this, going really deep about find a mentor, you know, if you can ask questions, it's, it's hard to find stack overflow. Isn't going to be necessarily the best place to do that, to kind of get a back and forth. But I see really great threads sometimes inside of like Reddit, the R Python. I see good information. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll just watch stuff on Twitter and kind of go back and forth, but finding a mentor is can, can be hard. Do you have ideas of, other community places people can try to find this type of help? When I first started, one of my biggest resources was always going to meetup.com. Okay. Yeah. Meetup.com has always, at least for me, I live in South Florida. So within that South Florida area, there's tons of user groups here around different topics. Sure. So what I want to learn about game building or, you know, data processing, uh, business intelligence, web applications, you know, PHP, PowerShell, Python, Perl, whatever, right? Like everything. Good. There's a user group for something. Or even though, even there might not be a group focused on a topic, there might be like a single meeting that talks about something that I care about. Yeah. And so a lot of the times I'll go on to meetup.com and as an attendee, it's free. I can go on, I could search for stuff, I could register for a group and I could get notifications about when things are happening. And so now this is where I go back to like the, like we got to pass like the fear part, right? Because everything comes down to like the fear. Right. I've, I've had tons of folks, like I used to be, I used to help out with a user group called .NET Miami. And we had tons of folks that would come to the meeting and sit in the back of the room, stay for the entire meeting, and then go. Yeah, never ask a question. And that's fine. And that's fine. If you don't have any questions or anything, that's fine. And there's no pressure. But then also, like one of the main benefits you get is the, the interactivity with other people. Right? Because even if you don't have a question today, you might have a question tomorrow. Or you might have a question on a day that we don't have a meetup meeting. Yeah. And so now you might want to find somebody that you can reach out to. And you might want to, maybe you want to you know, be in the Slack channel for that particular group. Maybe you want to be on, you know, some folks use Gitter channels or people have Zoom meetings. They have Facebook groups. And like, there's so many different things. Just even that Twitch thing you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Some folks are on Twitch doing live streaming. Uh, there's a lot of live coding happening on Twitch right now of all different levels and then of all different topics. And so there's there's a lot of places to go to. But again, it's very easy for us to just be consumers and never interact. Right? And I think that's when you'll notice the difference in your leveling. Yeah. Right? It's like you will go forward faster with the more code you read and the more questions you ask and the more you interact with other people. 
because someone would, you know, you could share experiments, you could share ideas, you could share thoughts. It's kind of like working on group projects in, in school. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm assuming, you know, some group projects don't go too well, like, but assuming everybody does their part, right? <laughs> That's always the problem, assuming, right? <laughs> assuming, assuming everybody is, is, you know, carving out like their equal share of the work. Right. And they're invested. And they're invested. You know, you could be like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't know you could do this with PowerPoint, right? Like we're making a presentation or whatever. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't know you could like add like an else statement to a try catch in Python or whatever the case, right? And you're like, oh, wow, like, no, I'm learning all of these other things because I'm like, we're interacting as a group, but I'm working on my part and you're working on yours and we can have a conversation about it. And so that conversation has just opened up the possibilities for different things. Yeah. Right. And now I could say, oh, well, you know, I didn't know I needed that thing, but now I could see how I could make the code that I'm writing better. Right. And I see that because of the interactivity. Yeah. I, I want to touch on like three things that you hit there. I did the same thing here when I moved to Colorado from Hawaii. There wasn't really much of a Python scene at all in Hawaii at the time. And so I was excited when I moved here that there was a, you know, a meetup group and I've gone several times and I'm definitely that intermediate person. And I was able to like assist other people when they had questions regarding like, you know, let's help somebody get Python set up on their computer. I'm like, oh, I'm good with that. You know, <laughs> that's something I, I know. And so I could share with the group. And so it was really, that was really a lot of fun. And then the other advantage of that meetup thing is that they would have sort of a back channel and people's email addresses. And so that now I had these connections of people that I can kind of talk to and go back and forth. But then I thought of an additional thing that you mentioned about projects. And if you're interested in an open source project and you're, I don't know, terrified that you're not level uh, high enough to be able to contribute code to this project, the idea of joining a project and writing documentation for it is is huge there there are so many projects that that's who they're looking for is somebody who is interested in learning how to write documentation for this project to help other people understand it and what a better way to learn that open source project and now you're going to have connections within that team to ask questions so what do you mean by this and what is this part of this code doing and so forth and then you are going to absorb so much more of it by having to write it out and document it to share that with other people. And it's a great way to get into that. That's definitely something I'm interested in doing. I just need to find which project I want to jump into. Yeah. And I keep talking, keep coming back to like this whole thing about like emotions and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to talk about that because I think of um the imposter syndrome that everybody talks about these days. Yeah. And here's the thing, right? Like everybody feels imposter syndrome. Yeah. Everybody. And when I say everybody... I mean, regardless of whatever stage you are at in your career, there's always going to be somebody or always going to be a group of people that are a few steps ahead or what you consider to be a few steps more successful or a few steps in a higher position or whatever the case is. And even though you're doing a good job, you're always going to look to the other side, right? And be like, oh man, like I have no idea what I'm doing. And it happens all the time. It happens to me all the time. You know, and it's, and it's a weird feeling, yeah, right? Super weird. Because I sometimes, you know, folks come to me and say, oh, wow, you're doing a great job. Like, this is amazing. Right. And on the outside, you say, you smile, you say, thank you. And you appreciate it. And in your head, you're just like, wow. Like if they only knew <laughs> <laughs> right, how insecure I really am and about how obsessed I am about trying to be like to do a good job. And to present like a good um, 
you know, a good body of work. Yeah. And then also too, every, we all have our own different goals, right? Like, and, and however we like plan those out. And, and in your head, you might think, man, like I haven't achieved half of what I've wanted to do. And I, and me personally, I feel like that sometimes. Sometimes I look on the board and be like, these are all the things that I'm supposed to know how to do in Python and with PyCharm and with right. deploying apps. And again, like there's tons of stuff, right? Docker, Kubernetes, blah, 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 blah. And new stuff every day. And I'm like, man, I don't know half of this stuff. Right. And so a part of you always feels like, man, like, like, am I ever going to catch up? Like, am I ever going to be able to, to know these things? And then I don't want to just know these things. Like I want to build something. Right. Right. Like I want to, I, I don't want to like just talk about it. I want to, I want to write some code. I want to deploy an app. I want to show off my app to other people. And then I want to teach other people how to do it. And I want to teach it with a level of confidence that people could trust me with. But then it's just like, it's just so much. And so you have that one side of you feeling like a little bit, a little bit of anxiety. Right. Because in your head, you're not where you want to be. Right. But then people are looking at you and being like, Hey, well, you're where I want to be. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't even gotten there yet. And you know, they look up to you with turn around and look the other way. <laughs> yeah, man. So it's, it's like tug of war sometimes. And that's hard to be in. You know what I mean? And it might sound, it might sound a little like I don't care too much about, you know, where I am. I don't appreciate where I am, but it's not the case. But I think all of us have. Like goals and aspirations, right? Yeah. And then with those goals and aspirations, like you're always looking ahead. But sometimes we need to take a moment to stop and appreciate where we are, right? And I think that's I think that's that's what's the the powerful thing about it. Not to get comfortable where we are, but not too comfortable that we get complacent. But like appreciate yourself and appreciate what you've achieved and the good things that are in your life and that what you've done. Because I think when again. Because this is all about getting over that fear, right? Like once we we start to appreciate ourselves a little bit more, and we start to recognize that you know you have put in a lot of good work and you have done a lot of good things, right? Then it it makes you it gives you that energy to go forward and learn more stuff, right? Because if not, what happens as human beings, we're gonna start freaking out, right? I'm just gonna be like, oh my god, I can't learn this thing. I just I'm flustered. I got stuff to do. Man, I have a baby coming. I got bills to pay. Like, right. My in-laws are coming, like, you know what I mean? Stuff. And like your head is like going. And then sometimes you just, like like we said a little bit earlier in this conversation, sometimes you just need to take a step back, slow it down, be like, you know what? Life is good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody's fine. And I, I have done good work. I'm putting in good work and I have a plan to move forward, right? And then you got to trust yourself. You got to trust yourself and trust your plan. Yeah. And then just go with it. Right, like we're always going to be nervous. Everybody, we're always going to be nervous. We're always going to second guess ourselves. It's just a matter of like taking that energy, taking that anxious, nervous energy, and redirecting it to somewhere else. Right? Yeah. And I'll, I'll say one more thing too. On top of that, like so, I sometimes I give presentations to in-person presentations to a room of fifteen people, and I've also had opportunities to give presentations to a room of five thousand people. Wow. Right, and. Regardless of the number, like, I mean, it might not be the same level, but regardless of the number, like, you're still nervous, right? Like, the five minutes before you walk on in front of that microphone or you put the microphone and t- attach it to your ear or whatever, you're always going to be nervous, right? You get to think about, like, I, I want to, I don't want to fumble over my words. I want to make sure the demos don't fail. I want to, <laughs> you know, make sure everything goes smoothly. Like, and it's spinning through your head and you're like, you're running through your talk in your head while all this stuff is happening. And then 
you have all this anxious energy, right? Like, so we just got to make sure that we take that energy and we send it into a positive place. Right? Like, let's send it to a place of, I'm prepared, I'm ready, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to go home, I'm going to hug my family, <laughs> and then it'll be a good day, right? And then, like, put positive thoughts in your head, right? And kind of just move forward with that. Yeah, I have th- that experience too. You know, I was in a band in the like '90s, and and going on stage in like a t- tiny bar, and then building up to like larger, you know, venues and so forth, and being in front of these huge crowds, and and so now I've kind of got to a point after practicing that, then I moved into the world of teaching, and which was a whole other level of nervousness, you know, and yeah, I, I would do these events, sort of side events, where I was a photographer and. I had one major goal, which was I was supposed to take a picture of every single person crossing the stage, you know, for a graduation photo. And I, and if I miss that, then that person doesn't get a graduation photo. And I would bring other people on board sometimes to help me. And this one friend of mine, he's like, you know, he's this total military guy, like, you know, puts himself in all these kind of crazy situations like that. And he's, and he was more stressed out by the idea of that he had to load this film in this camera <laughs> and be ready to hand it to me because like if he screwed that little thing up it was it was really funny he's like i don't know how you do that and to me it was like i don't know it's just, just like you know it's just being prepared and being ready and and being <laughs> ready to go and understanding it and yeah. you know so it's there's all sorts of levels inside of that i i thought about you know when you're looking to get hired somewhere and I've been listening to various conversations on other podcasts about people going out and thinking that they need to know everything to to get a job. And as you have already said, and I definitely, in my background, it's not necessarily that you need to be this incredible expert at a particular language or a particular thing. I mean, it depends on the job. But most often, the thing that they're looking for is that you have coded something, you've created a couple little projects and you can show and you can problem solve and you can prove that through your code. Beyond that, everything's moving so fast. Yeah. Are you a good human being? Can you communicate with other people? Right. Do you have a passion to help others, you know, inside of the community that you're going to be working with? That's what people are looking for more than necessarily you know, a huge amount of skill. I've met people that know so much that they're in my mind, and this is a mean thing to say, but they're kind of unteachable yeah. because they're going to just basically present all of their opinions about how this thing has to be. And they're no longer communicating with the team and trying to get things done. It goes back to your group project thing. You know, it's like, well, I don't like how this is working. It's like, well, I'm sorry, this is a group and this has to happen this way, <laughs> you know, in order for us to move forward. And so not knowing everything is okay as long as you're willing to learn. And, you know, a huge amount of time you spend in this process of learning is knowing how to search for resources and knowing how to Google and knowing how to, you know, and using all those tools, ask any programmer that's out there, you know, what, how many tabs or windows do they have open when they're trying to learn something new or solve a particular problem. So don't beat yourself up that you don't know 70% 70% of all the code that's out there, it, that's not what's important. It's your ability to be able to move up and be able to communicate and be able to be <laughs> a good human being. And that you know, goes back to you know taking care of yourself too, <laughs> right? Right, so. right. I think getting that first job, like that first programming job or engineering job or whatever, 
is a very stressful thing for everybody. Oh, yeah. And it's very stressful because, again, you don't have the experience yet and you just don't know, right? Like, I don't know what the expectations are. I don't know what it's like to sit in an office every day and, I don't know, be in a cubicle or be in a, you know, a room or whatever the case is. Right. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if am I going to get along with my teammates. Like, there's so many things that you don't know. Outside of the fact that you don't know what you're going to be, like what your actual work's going to feel like. And this is, this is where I keep going, right? Like we have to, we have to be human on both sides of the table. Yep. From, from the perspective of the employer, right? We have to think about, well, what's really important or what do I really want in terms of a teammate, right? And as a terms of another employee to join us, right? Like I've seen resumes or, or sorry, I've seen job descriptions that have been super specific, right? Like you need to have framework version, blah, blah, blah. And, right. you know, runs an operating system, blah, blah, blah. And this blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, you know, if you want to be that specific, maybe you should hire a consultant <laughs> and have them come in and do a thing and then they'll leave. Because we all know in the world of technology, like version numbers don't hang around for too long. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like being very specific with frameworks and certain practices, like they change over time. They change within a couple of months, right? And so, you know, when you want to be super specific, you must know how to do blah, 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 blah. But like to the de- to the point that you're, you're going down to like version numbers, right? <laughs> then, right. then, then you got to be like, well, what, what's going to happen when like those things are no longer updated or relevant or whatever the case is? And you've already hired these people. Like, are you going to train them? Are you going to give them like a, training budget? Are you going to send them to conferences and workshops? Or are you going to buy them books? Maybe get them like right. you know, a real Python subscription? Membership, right? yeah, exactly. Like yeah. A membership. Like what do you what are you going to do with these people? Right. And so as a leader and as managers or directors and people in that position, like we have to think about these things, right? Because frameworks change. Right. But like what you said, like I want to I want to know that this person is willing to learn. I want to know that this person can communicate well and integrate well with our team. And once I have some of those core personality traits, like everything else is a matter of like reading a book and practice. Yeah. Right. There's some things that you can't teach on the job, right? And some things you can, right? Like you could, you could teach people about leadership, right? And you could teach people about, you know, you could teach people syntax, right? Like you could teach them your business process, right? Those are things that they could learn, right? But you, you can't teach like ambition and you can't teach, you know, curiosity. Yeah, that's a huge one. And those types of things, right? You can't teach good communication. Well, I guess you couldn't kind of teach good communication, but like the person has to be willing to accept that teaching, right? So as a leader, like those are the things that you should look for. As a person that's learning, right? As a person that's looking for a job, same thing, right? Sure, like be able to show your work and be able to show, hey, I've done these things. Maybe you're looking for a web person. Like here's some web things that I built, right? Maybe you're looking for a machine learning person. Here's some models that I like some algorithms I put up on GitHub and some data I collected and crunched and whatever the case is. And like talk about like the actual tangible things that you do. Yep. Right. Focusing on I could use this IDE and I could use this specific version of this database and all, all that stuff. I mean, you can learn that. We can all learn that. It's not that important. <laughs> like honestly, it is not that important. Like what is important that you understand it's all interchangeable. Yeah. What you want to understand is like, how, how do you solve problems? Like, can you break down complex things into smaller, approachable tasks and objectives? Can you do that? Right. Like, can you learn quickly or, you know, can you, uh, can you adapt and 
inspect new technology to be like, hey, is this a good fit for our use case? Yeah. Right. Is it something that we want to pay attention to or something that we should ignore? Right. Like those are the types of skills that are important. If you're talking about building a team that's going to live long term, if you're just trying to like bang some stuff out really quick, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Just, you know, hire some consultants, man. And then, you know, let it be what it is. Which is such a trend that happened over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so is, you know, I worked at, in banking and they would bring in all these people because that's what they felt was the safe bet was to to bring in consultants. And I would keep shaking my head and ask all these questions of like, okay, well, they're going to leave, <laughs> you know, and all that knowledge and all that skill is going to go with them. And if they didn't document their code very well and all that sort of stuff, like now we're going to be stuck with this, you know, temporary solution. And then you're going to end up, you know, bringing them back again, as opposed to investing into a team, let's solve this together. And it may take more time, but you know, you're investing into your structure of a whole organization and building up those things. And more than anything, you're, if you're a leader, you're now believing in your team, which is a huge thing to say, I think you guys can do this and I want to see what you're going to create and, and I want your input and so forth as opposed to, well, we'll just get the experts. You know, it's very demotivating (laughs) for a team. I've seen that on a handful of times. So it is very demotivating. Another thing that I've seen a lot that that causes a lot of churn is when when you might have like a position that's like a level or two just above the folks that you have. Yeah. And you bring in an outside person, like someone that hasn't been with the company and someone is just completely new. And you know, sometimes that's necessary. But then I always ask the question, was there no one here at the moment that we could again give them some training, give them some guidance? build them up from in, from here, right? And then help promote them to a higher position. Yeah. Because for me, what that does is that increases morale. It increases, you know, again, like we're talking a lot about emotions, right? Like that increases like that, that feeling in the office of, you know, of trust of the fact that this company cares about us and is willing to, to push us up to do more challenging things with greater rewards. Yeah. Right. Versus like, Hey, they're just going to bring in random people and swap us in and out. Like that doesn't make me feel good. That's different. And again, talking to the leaders that are listening to the show, like, like that's what, like, when you see tech companies have a lot of churn and people are bouncing around, you know, like if your if your employees love where they work, like they're gonna stay, yeah, right. You know, if you make them happy and comfortable, like they're gonna stay. But obviously, too, on their side, like they have to be doing the work and and whatnot. Like it's it's a relationship and not a a one way type type of engagement. Like, be good to your employees, and you know they'll be good to you and. Hopefully, like we want to, you want to be able to grow as a team. So again, like thinking about thinking about new folks. Like I hear a lot of companies talk about, oh man, I I need, I can't find developers for this project and that project or whatever the case. Is. And I'm like, you know, there's tons of colleges like right outside your door. Yeah. Like why don't you go to one of those colleges and hire some interns? Why don't you start getting folks used to being in your office and working on your projects and understanding some of the things that you do. And I get it. It's not an immediate response. And a lot of these companies, they want like immediate results. But sometimes we got to spend the time again, because this is a community, right? Like this, we're not, we're not machines, right? This is not mechanical. Like we're a community of people. You know, let's spend the time to like go to schools and and colleges and and whatnot. And so now when these folks graduate, you know what I mean? You already put three years into them. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? And they know you and they trust you, which is the important part, right? Like I keep talking about like these emotional words about trust and, and, and belief and, and things of that nature, right? Like they trust you and they go like, Hey, 
I don't know what I, I didn't know what I was going to do when I left college, but you know, I've been working with company X across the street for the past three years. I've been turned there once or twice. I've been to some of their meetups on the weekend or, you know, whatever. Yeah. They came to my school and they showed me these 3D modeling games and cool stuff that they're building. I think I want to work there. Like that looks like a cool place. Yeah. And that's easy. Yeah. It's good to really excited. Yeah. Well, that's easy, right? Because you know them and they know you. Versus, um, I got to get a recruiter. And, you know, we all know recruiters aren't cheap, right? I have nothing against recruiters, just for the record. No, don't come at me. <laughs> but, but, but I'm just, I'm just saying, like, if, if we took the time to invest in our community and our developers and we started to think of us as people and not just as headcount and as people that we could shuffle around a chessboard, you notice like your company will function a lot more differently, right? Yeah. And then, you know, you worrying about, oh, well, can I find like a senior level this and a, and a mid-level that and, you know, whatever, whatever. Versus you can say, hey, I know these, I know this group of developers of these, this group of young people because we've been working with them and they know our stuff. Let's just, let's just hire them. Let's continue to grow them. And then hopefully those folks become the leaders of, you know, the next 10 years. Hopefully your company lasts 10 years. Right. Yeah. And you could say, yo, we brought these people from this point to this point and they're still with us today. And that's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. So I want to loop back just a little bit and talk. I know that we didn't name specific projects. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather as many projects as I can in GitHub repositories and things like that. And include those in the show notes. I think talking through them as a part of a conversation isn't as useful as maybe just providing a whole bunch of resources and links and places where these are suggestions that I've received that you could use, you know, and look through. But a huge part of it is just going to be you need to create projects. And we we specified a lot about, you know, what needs to go into that and, you know, documentation and finding things that you're interested in. There's this term smart that you might have seen before of, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. And yeah, you know, finding these things that don't say, hey, I'm going to learn web programming. It's like, no, I'm going to make a block or I'm going to make a specific thing or I'm going to help this. For me, like I'm I studied personality types for a little while and I'm a personality type that I really like to help others and build things for other people. And I'm more motivated by sometimes people outside of myself than I am necessarily for like internal things. And so I will go out of my way if like somebody asks me to help them to do something or if I find a, a something where somebody is in need of something. And I guess I'm motivated by, you know, the thanks and the appreciation and seeing someone else use something that I've created more than I am very often by creating something shiny and sticking it out there and saying, look at isn't this amazing? I'd rather it be something that I know someone else is going to use. And so Sometimes that might be, depending on your personality, you know, a way to focus on things and, and creating something like that. So I'll make sure I include a lot of resources and and if Cecil has some, he'll send me some additional ones that we can think of. But I want to talk briefly about you a little more. Sure. You said you used to do a podcast. Yeah, I did a podcast with my partner, um, Richie Rump, and that was called Away From The Keyboard. That was a really fun podcast. We essentially spoke to different folks across the development community. It doesn't matter, any platform, any cloud type of thing. And we we really tried to dig into what it was like for them as individuals, as people. I thought those were important conversations to have because, you know, a lot of the times when we look at these folks on 
at conferences and YouTube videos and, you know, webinars, live streams, Pluralsight courses, what have you, you know, we look at them and we give them like, like those are like our developer celebrities, right? <laughs> right. Like those are, those are like the, those are our community champions. And these are like the amazing people that are doing amazing work. I couldn't possibly talk and, to them. <laughs> and I couldn't possibly talk to them. And, and, and me and them have to be so far removed from each other that like, you know, I would never ever meet this person in real life or even have a conversation with them. Like it, it is out of my mind. And what I wanted to do is, or what we wanted to do was start to have these conversations that showed the other side of technical people. And again, regardless of whether you're super known in your community or not, right? Let's tell these stories about technical people, but not talk about technology. Like, like who are you as a person? Yeah. Right. Because I think there's a lot that happens there, particularly for folks that might be, hey, maybe I just started a business, right? Well, hey, I'm a te- I'm a tech person. I went to school. I studied computer science. I never studied business. I don't have an MBA. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, how do you start a business? Like, what does that mean? What kind of business do I start? Right? Is it an S-Corp or an LLC? Like, what, is, what do those words even mean? <laughs> you know, right? right? And then how do you learn that? Yeah. Right? Like, like, who taught you? Do you have a business partner? Are you by yourself? Do you have a big company or a little company? Are you a consultant? Do you like make online videos and courses like like Real Python does? Like, how do you do that? And like, how do you how do you again go through the fear? Because goes back to fear. How do you go through the fear of being able to go out on your own and do that? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. Right. Like, how did your family deal with that? Like, what were your work hours like? You know what I mean? And I'm just I'm just talking off the top of my head. But you see, like, there's all these questions that we can ask and talk about, and and you realize, you know, they're just like us, right? Like they, they have these same questions too. And they have those same struggles and concerns. Because again, at the end of the day, like we all have to pay rent or mortgage or, you know, buy groceries and all these things. Like we all have those same types of concerns. And, you know, we all want to make sure that our families are healthy and safe and taken care of. You want to make sure that your kids go to school and have shoes on their feet and food in their bellies. They have those type of same concerns too, right? So what, what does it mean if I take my 401k? And dump it in a new business idea, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of that's a lot. That's a big thing to unpack there. So we talk about those types of things, and then we also have fun too. I don't want to make it sound like this is a super deep, all always serious type conversations. We do have those, but we'll talk about things like, hey, what do you do with your kids for Halloween? Right? Like a lot of a lot of folks that we talk to are are big into cooking. They play musical instruments. Yeah, you know, we speak to people across the world too, right? So one of my favorite episodes is with. My buddy Garrett, he lives in Orlando, but he's from South Africa, right? Wow. At the time, I had never been to South Africa. So I'm like, well, what is that like? Right? And he essentially, like he gave us like an audio tour through South Africa. It was super cool. Uh, he talks to us about like South African wine and sausages and the cuisine and the people, the music. Yeah. But that was, that was great to hear and understand. Now, I would never have known that Garrett was from South Africa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he's 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 a database person. He works on ETL. I see him at conferences. He does videos, but then he breaks out and he's talking about like wine and food and like all of these different things that he does from a culinary perspective. And I'm like, wow, like I never would have known. And like now, maybe we have something in common. Yeah, right. You know, it could be like building video games or reading comic books, drawing. Uh, I had one buddy of mine from Miami. Like he does woodwork in his spare time. You know what I mean? Like he legit does woodwork. So he he makes um, you know tables and drawers and like he varnishes them and polishes them and all that types of stuff and builds them for himself, for his house and for his family and his wife. 
But those are cool stories to hear, right? Yeah. Because, again, we're not all behind keyboards typing all day, every day, right? We're not always behind a book and, you know, hitting deploy and publishing the production. Like, we're not doing this all the time. You know, we have other things that we're, we're interested in and we care about and other ways that we express our creativity. So I think those are good um, conversations that we had. Cool. So we, we had hit pause for a little bit on the podcast. We're going to do it again soon. Probably within a couple of months, we're going to start that up again. We had some minor, minor issues that happened that put the pause on that. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to getting that back up and running. Great. And the catalog is still out there that people can check out previous episodes? Yeah, for sure. We're, we're on, I want to say everything. We're on, um, if you want to go through iTunes podcasts, we're also on SoundCloud. Uh, if you want to go to, you know, if you use Google Podcasts, um, you know, obviously you could go to the website too. You just go straight to the website and download our RSS feed. Um, we're all over the place. Nice. Um, the, all the episodes and stuff are still available for folks to listen to. Cool. So I have a couple of questions that I ask sort of weekly. Sure. And I thought of a new one, actually, <laughs> that I might try out on you. Sure, let's do it. So the first one is, in the world of Python, and this could be packages or editors or events or different things that are going on in the world of Python, what are you excited about currently? Honestly, so I'm, I'm a big web API type person, a web services person. Okay. I'm really excited about the uh, the ASCII stuff, the ASGI stuff that um, the Django team has been pushing forward. So that's their async version yeah so that's their so it's essentially like async whiskey okay right so whiskey as it is today doesn't necessarily have the best support for async operations but when you think about when you build web apps like that's what you're doing a lot of the time right and async from the perspective of you know i'm doing some type of io operation like making a network call or going to the database or going to like a Redis cache that's some on another machine somewhere else even writing files to disk right like all these type of io operations that are blocking calls that are long running, but now we get, you know we have um, async IO and those types of things that can help with uh, with that type of work. But as um, but Wizgy by itself right really doesn't support that. And so now the Django team has this ASCII. They had a project uh, called Channels too, which was which kind of interesting. And I believe now with the latest version of Django that just came out, and just came out as in like last month or two months ago like or something three something. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that has all of that async stuff built in. Awesome. In the box, right? So you don't have to install another package or whatever. It's kind of just in there. And so you could have all these these ASCII servers like UVCorn or something like that. Hypercorn is another one that I know about. And you can run your async operations on, on Python, which I think is pretty cool. Nice. So what is something that you thought you knew about in Python, but it turned out you were wrong about it? You know, honestly, when I first started Python, I'm going to go back a couple of years now. When I first started Python, I honestly thought it was like, I thought it was like Bash. <laughs> to be with <laughs> okay. I, th- I thought it was like a scripting thing. I didn't realize people built whole systems and applications with them, right? Again, this is not recent. This is a long time ago, so people don't get mad at me. <laughs> okay. Right. But a long time ago, I did have that impression about the language, right? I remember I was looking a while ago, like years ago, I was looking at Python and Ruby had just come out. Like this is before they even had Rails and things like that. And I was like, well, well, there's no project system. Like, I don't know how I build this. I'm like, you mean I just copy all the code? Just and there's no binary. Like, there's no executable. Like, it just runs. Like, that's it. Right. No compiling. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this is like a toy thing. <laughs> like, this is, this is like, oh, I'm gonna like write a script to like copy files from like one machine to another, and that's what it's good for, kind of thing. But obviously, I was wrong. I mean, on the Python community is, is has been, it's not that, and it's huge, and there's so many 
different things you could do with Python today. I honestly think like you can do anything with Python today, to be very honest with you, from writing parsers to, you know, obviously machine learning is a huge thing in the space. Web is a huge thing in the space. Um, I think the circuit Python and MicroPython initiatives are super interesting in terms of doing IoT with with Python. Yeah. Like you could literally do everything with Python, right? And so that was my mistake. I I I try I put it in a box and I kind of tucked it away yeah. for a little bit. And and I was like, whoa, what did all this stuff happen? Like we could literally do anything we want with this language. Like it is the ultimate like Swiss army knife of programming. Yeah, I love that about it too. So what's the next thing you want to learn in Python? What's the next thing I want to learn? Um, honestly, I've been talking to some of my coworkers and whatnot, and I'd love to dive into the psychic learn machine learning framework. Oh, cool. I know there's tons of machine learning things. There's like TensorFlow and I think it's called Keras or Keras or something yeah. like that. And PyTorch and all these types of things that do deep learning. Again, like I'm not a machine learning person, so don't ask me the difference between deep learning and non-deep learning <laughs> or whatever it is. But I have, again, you know, been, I'm, I'm curious, right? I'm a curious person and I, I read blogs and look at things. And I think psychic learn looks really interesting. So I definitely want to, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll look at a course. I don't know if real Python has a psychic learn course, but, you know, I'll, I'll love to look at some courses and, you know, just write some code myself, right? And see what that, that looks like. That was a suggestion I saw from somebody of an open source project that is actually a good one to read the docs and read what's going on in inside of it. That was actually a suggestion that somebody gave yeah. that that's a, one of the libraries that's really nice for that. Yeah, so there you go. So that might, that might be something that you folks put on real Python and then I come in and check out one day yeah. um, if you ever create that. Another thing we're thinking about too, because like we, we mentioned earlier that we do this Python stream on Wednesdays. Yeah. Like maybe we'll show you and me or show everyone like me messing around and making mistakes and fiddling around with psychic learn yeah, um, yeah, yeah. on our Twitch stream. That sounds fun. Just to kind of see what it feels like. Cool. Yeah, that's something I, th- I forgot to mention that, you know, we talked about all these resources and open source projects for reading and learning. And I neglected to mention that Python, you know, python.org has been actually creating pretty amazing documentation itself. And inside of the docs are actual examples of using the vocabulary and using these features and so forth. And that's something that they're striving for in all the latest releases of Python is to have documentation that is more approachable, is you know more usable. And, and as I've leveled up my learning, that's a place that I've been starting to go more often and not being afraid to say, oh, the, you know, this is scary documentation manual or whatever, to going in inside and just you know, reading what's there from the source itself, from Python itself, you know, learn more about the built-in functions and all that sort of stuff to level up my language skills. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. And again, like I, I keep saying, like there's two sides to all of this, right? I think it's great that the team, the Python folks put that out, like the team that runs Python put that out. But it's even more important that we look at it and give them feedback. Yeah. Because if, if we don't give them feedback to say, oh, well, this was hard for me to digest or this was hard for me to, to comprehend, then they're just going to think, oh, well, nobody complains about it, so it's fine. Yeah. Right? But we in ourselves might say, oh, man, this, this was a little bit difficult for me to consume. But we don't, we don't, we sit within our, our own circles, but we don't like communicate it to the people that's actually doing it. Right? So now how, how do we, again, how do we become better? Right? Like it's a circle. It's a community of learning and, 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 and evolution. Somebody has to write the docs and then somebody has to evaluate the docs. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the only way that they're going to get better. If not, like they just become like 
you know, wasted space on the internet. And, you know, we all know how much more wasted space on the internet we do. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. This has been really great. Yeah, this is this has been amazing, man. I feel like we could talk for like forever about stuff. But hey, anytime at all, I'd, I'd always be more than willing to come back on and, you know, probably share some new things that we're up to, yeah. new projects we're working on. I'd love to have you back. Maybe we'll have, have some real Python folks on our, our Python stream one day. I think that'll be a super cool thing to do. Yeah, let me know. That'd be great. Thanks. Sure. Thanks for having me on. I want to thank Cecil Phillip for being my guest this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in your favorite player. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.